0: You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Hey guys, Pastor Ryan here. So glad that you've joined us today. We are continuing on in our message series called Better Together. If you were with us last week, uh, hopefully you, you got to be a part and hear kind of the story, uh, listening and learning from our friends in the black community, and specifically and most wonderfully from our church and our leadership, from the elders to pastors to ministry leaders and student ministries and kids ministries. And by the way, that message was the second highest since Easter. So it was right up there with Easter attendance online. So it was incredible. So thanks for sharing that. And today what I want to do is kind of follow up and teach on a doctrine that is in our church doctrinal statement, our belief statement about the creation of humanity and the importance of that and the implications that it has as we face these issues of race and whatnot. But before we do, I I really feel like we kind of need to back it up just for a second. And, And what I mean by that is like, literally, we need to put it in reverse and back away before we bump on the wrong issues. So I need to make sure everybody's on the bus together before we go forward. Just the other day when I was coming home, I had my son in the truck with me. We came home. I got kind of a a lifted truck just a little bit, and I was pulling into the driveway, hit the garage button, and I pulled forward really fast, and I felt something. Boom, I hit something in the garage. My, My driveway's tilted up. My truck's lifted up. I didn't see it. I said, Sam, jump out and see what's over there. He jumps out. He goes and says, Dad, you hit the dog kennel. Thankfully, there was no dog in the kennel, but I hit the, I hit the kennel, didn't even see it. He said, you're going to have to back it up. So I backed it up. Got, he moved it out of the way, and then we pulled forward. Before we move forward as a church in this discussion about being better together, hearing kind of the racial tensions and inequality that happens in our society. We need to back up and look at this doctrine of the Imago Dei, that's the Latin phrase for made in the image of God. But before we can even get there, I have to ask you, what do you believe about the creation of the world? There's kind of three views about asking this question, where did we come from? Some people would believe uh, that uh, 40% of Americans do not believe that God created the world. Uh, They don't believe that God created humanity. Uh, There's uh, three different kinds of theories in this. The first is this is evolution theory. You've heard of that before. Um, But that the earth is billions of years old and that chemicals somehow collided and, and poof, there's living organisms. And then over millions of years, we've evolved into humans. Um, some Christians would try to argue that they they believe in that. I don't see how that's possible. The Bible speaks completely against that concept. Uh, Genesis is a historical account of creation. And so then there's the, the strong biblical foundation in the view for where did we come from as people And we came, is the creation idea. This is the view that God made the world and all that is in it. And this is what the Bible says, that that God created the world in six days. He made the heaven and the earth and all that is in it. But then there's the theistic evolution idea. And this is the idea where it's kind of a, uh, this idea kind of straddles the two, the idea of evolution and creation. It says that that both in some way are true, that God is still involved, yet he allows the evolutionary process to take effect by varying degrees. And there are debates in this camp about Did God make the earth in a literal uh, six days or are those representing thousands of years? And that's what we would call open-handed issues. But hear me on this. For us to have a right understanding about being made in the image of God, all people being created by God, we have to either be in the camp of creation or a theistic evolution in a sense. God is absolutely involved and is declares himself as creator all throughout Scripture. And the passage of Scripture that I want us to look at now is this: is the Genesis one twenty six through one twenty seven, and it highly represents this idea that of a creation worldview. As Christians, we come with a concept, not thinking that mankind somehow. Randomly, accidentally evolved into what we have today, but that God intelligently designed us uh, as as the as to reflect His image, and this is what we're going to talk about: made in the image of God. Genesis one twenty six and one twenty seven is a powerful passage that has uh, profound implications about uh, what w- the the issues that we face today. It says this, and then God said, God speaks, he's the the author, he's the subject in which we study and we look at in our formation and foundation for biblical theology. He says, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish and of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over creeping things. And that creep on the earth, and then verse 27, a reinforcement of this idea of God making man, not just singular man, but male and female, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So the question comes is, what does this mean? What does it mean to be made in the image of God? I wanna to list to you seven different things that it means. Number one, it means that we resemble God, that literally we, we have some resemblance to God himself. Uh, recently, and uh, during this uh, slowdown in our society, I've taken up the efforts of doing ancestral work. And it's very interesting to me as I've kind of looked back into my ancestry roots and seen mo- most of them come from farming backgrounds in the Midwest, or out further West in ranches. And if you would look at my great, great grandfather, you would see that he looks a lot like my grandfather. There's a resemblance back in the South. We say somebody looks a lot like somebody else, a family member or a child looks like a father or a daughter or a daughter looks like a mother. You say they were made in the spitting image of their parents. And when we look at the scripture and we ask this question, what does it mean to be made in God's image? We have to understand number one, we resemble God. In the scripture it says, uh, the Bible says, let us, and that's referring to the Godhead, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit actively involved, perfect community, creating humanity. Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. The word like in the Hebrew means to shape, model, in likeness. And in that, we see in a sense that there are things that we are like God. Uh, we resemble God when we act like God. Uh, we share what's called shared attributes. How we are like God, just a couple of different ways, is morally or spiritually or mentally. Morally, when we participate and act loving, we're reflecting God. When we act joyful, we're we're reflecting and resembling our heavenly father. When we act peaceful, we're reflecting our God of peace. When we're showing patience or kindness or goodness or faithfulness, uh, we are showing our resemblance to our heavenly father. Additionally, in the mental mental realm, when we exercise philosophy or sciences or technology, we're highlighting how uh, God is one of all knowledge. He's all knowing. And in that, these are shared attributes that we share with God. And this is unique uh, uh, spiritually too. We are spiritual beings like God. Although we are not a God, we are like God in that we will live one day forever. We can spiritually intercede for our friends. We can pray for others. And this is different than all creation. You're not going to find chimpanzees interceding for other chimpanzees for their, their salvation. This is unique above all of creation's. Dogs bark, cats meow, Christians pray. People pray. And this is unique about all of creation. These are shared attributes. But how are we uh, uh, not like God? We are not like God in the sense that uh, we are not omniscient. We are not all knowing. Well, the Bible says in Isaiah that his ways are higher than our ways. God is all-knowing, we are not. So there are some things we resemble like God and there are some things we don't resemble like God. God is omnipotent, he's all-powerful. As the scripture says, hallelujah, for the Lord God is omnipotent in Revelation 9, 6. He's all-powerful. I heard one old lady describe God and she said, he's so big, you can't climb over him. He's so wide, you can't go around him. He's so big, there's no getting over him, he's God. And the reality is, is God is all powerful, portrays himself as all powerful, and we are not. We are limited in our power, in our ability. And we are uh, not omnipresent, God is omnipresent. Bible says is that uh, he resides, the spirit of God resides in every single believer around the world. Says The scripture says, 2 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that his Holy Spirit lives in you? He's dwelling within you. Additionally, in Jeremiah, the scripture says is that his presence fills the whole earth. He's everywhere all at once. And this is where in the pantheistic ideas that people get this mistake and they think that God is in all things, and so they start worshiping trees, they start worshiping the moon, they start worshiping all the other things, and think that there is a divine life force in all things. The Bible doesn't portray it like that. God is distinct creator above his creation, and he has placed us, his people, above creation, and which we'll get to in just a minute. But these have profound implications, the idea that we resemble God has a cultural implications in that, that uh, we should uh, seek to honor and give dignity, value, and respect to all races in society. Why? Because they are made in the image of God. They share in his likeness. Even if they do not choose to follow and believe in Jesus Christ, even if they do not uphold and reflect him very well or represent him, they are still made in the image of God. This has profound implications as well as the idea that we give respect and dignity towards the elderly or the, even the seriously, the seriously ill or mentally impaired or, or even the unborn child deserves full protection and honor as human beings. This doctrine is core to the Christian faith and it should inform how we treat other people we resemble god secondly we represent god growing up i can remember as a kid my dad would always tell me son you represent the rice family today when you go to school just remember that you represent our family now i grew up in a small town in but yet I think that, that voice still haunts me today. I know that I represent my whole family. And did you know, as Christians, it would probably do us a great deal of good to remember who we represent. The, the statistics say today that 66% of younger people, millennials in our country, say that the number one objection to the Christian faith is hypocrisy. My question is this, is do you know who you represent? Did you know that being made in the image of God means you're a representative for him? I think it would do us a great deal of good to look at this Bible verse in Genesis to form a foundation of how we act, how we treat other people. When the Bible says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, the Hebrew meaning or phrase would be something more like this. Let us make man to be like us let us make man to represent us. It's important to understand that we represent. And you say to me, well, how do we represent? What do we represent? All throughout scripture, there's this uh, strong relationship and what's been called by theologians, the missio Dei, the mission of God. And it's God's intent that people will, as believers, will declare and demonstrate the righteousness of God for all people, in all places, in all times. And it's this responsibility that we represent God everywhere we go, every day of our lives. Why? Because we were made in his image. We represent our heavenly father at home, at work, at school, in the community, online, around our country. We represent God. This is why, again, 66%, of uh, millennials will say their greatest objection to the Christian faith is hypocrisy. You and I have to take on that mantle and that responsibility. We represent God. How do we do that? In the very beginning in the Bible, in, uh, there's a creation mandate. Genesis 128 talks about us uh, being fruitful, multiplying, filling the earth, subduing it, and taking charge and responsibility. We have a responsibility as uh, made in God's image to create things, to make things, to fill the earth with goodness and godliness and all that we do, whether it's music, whether it's art, whether it's uh, proper parenting and godly parenting, whether it's reflecting a right marriage for the world to see, whether it's creating things, managing things, we have a creation mandate that we are called to a, a responsibility to represent God for all of creation. Secondly, there's this blessed to bless motif in Genesis chapter 12, where the Abrahamic covenant, when God calls Abraham and tells him that he's gonna be a blessing and that he's gonna need to bless others as well. God's intent and purpose behind the election of Israel has always been to receive blessing and to give blessing. Psalm 67, the psalmist says, "'May God bless us so that that we might be a blessing "'for all other nations.'" This motif all throughout scripture, we are blessed to bless is continual and constant. Like last week, I mentioned this idea of being a pipeline, not a pool. As believers, we have to realize we represent God everywhere we go and everything we do, and we're called to be this pipeline of blessing. Being made in the image of God means that we're his representative. As we experience God's blessings, we seek to bless others continually and constantly. We're blessed to a purpose. The role of Israel was always to be not just a pool of blessing, but to be a a pipeline of blessing for all other nations. And in the same responsibility for the church, you see this theme continuing with what's been called the Great Commission or the Great Commandments. The idea is that Jesus says that we're to go and make disciples of all nations. We're filling the earth. He says, I will always be with you. I'll be there. We're to love God and we're to love neighbor. We have this responsibility as believers being made in the image of God, being made in that Hebrew phrase, uh, the word translation would be something like being made to be like God and represent God in everything that we do. How has our church done in this time? I believe that every single pastor uh, w- uh, will have to give account, and the ministry leaders, the staff, the elders uh, uh, will have to give account one day for the times in which they served. And I look back over this time period with, since this pandemic has hit, and I ask myself have we been faithful, Lord, in the great commandments and the great commission? And I wanna just share with you some highlights that I would say, yes, we have been faithful in that. We are called as a church, as a Christians to represent God. Since the, the pandemic hit, we've been doing online Bible teaching four to six times a week through Facebook Live, through our kids programs, youth programs, main adult services. We've launched additional online services just so that people would have more options to engage. Bible teaching, worship music, uh, God-honoring, Jesus-glorifying worship experience. We've done this and we've seen thousands and thousands of people join online to see at some point or another these messages and this music. Additionally, I've taken on the effort and having uh, written with help in our church over 50,000 words of devotional content so that we can get Bible teaching out and provided um, more than 22 weeks of devotional commentary for the Ephesians series. You've got to understand when you financially invest and when you're participating with North Valley, we're, we've got, always got to work hard to make sure Bible teaching and gospel-centered music and message gets out into our world because we represent God. Additionally, uh, we s- sent out word and we touched base with 8,000 uh, homes in our neighborhood just to let them know, hey, we are in this community and for the community, that if they need any help financially, physically, or spiritually, we want to do the best that we can to help. And, and some did respond, and we were able to help because of your generous offerings and givings towards our hope offering. So thank you for that. Additionally, some of you picked up yard signs and put up a sign and says, hey, I'm here to help. I'm in the neighborhood. Additionally, we, we launched this food drive to help our, our brothers and sisters in Christ in the Navajo Nation. We are, we are representing Jesus Christ. Our church is doing that, but each one of us has room to grow. We got to continue to do this together. And so, Thirdly, I want to challenge you is that we have to understand the implication is is that we are responsible at some level to to care for creation. We are responsible to God to care for creation. This idea of the made in the image of God has all sorts of implications. And here's one I just didn't want to pass up because I bet most of you have a pet at home. You have an animal that you love. Um, And the Bible speaks to this idea that we have to be responsible. Many in our society would critique Christianity and say, Christians don't care about the environment. Christians don't care about uh, global issues of, of, of environmental issues. I believe that the Bible teaches us that we should care for that. Why is that? Well, in Genesis one let let's look back at it. He says, and let them have dominion. That word dominion means to have rule in a sense, that we are ruling over what? The fish of the sea and over the birds in the heaven and over the livestock. And Genesis one twenty eight says a similar phrase. And it says, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it and have dominion over it. That word subdue is a very interesting Hebrew word. The Hebrew word perhaps is pronounced something like kibosh. And I think as we look as Christians at this concept of caring for creation, we need to kibosh it. We don't need to squash it. We need to have this mentality of this Hebrew word. It means to dominate or to bring into servitude. And you're like, what does it mean? It means that we, uh, in a sense, have an authoritative right to train, create, cultivate, use all of creation for the good of humanity and the glory to God. For example, and and growing up on the rice ranch, we would take an annual hunt and have been doing it for for years, uh, nearly 30 years, been doing this hunt with my father and my brothers, go back to Arkansas, when we would have to select specific horses to go into the Ozark Mountains in a wilderness area where no motorized vehicle could go, go into these uh, Ozark Mountains, down hills, down crevasses, across uh, creeks and rivers, through huge, huge wooded patches and, and bamboo patches that can be scary and terrifying, hauling in all sorts of gear, guns and gear, all sorts of stuff. These horses were trained. And the reality is, is that we had to train them and we had to select them. And there's this role and responsibility for all Christians in a sense that we, the implication of this made in the image of God, is that we have a role to play, a responsibility to play for all of creation. I love what the Proverbs says in Proverbs 12.10, New Living Translation says that the godly care for their animals, but the wicked are cruel. This speaks again into the role and the responsibility for every believer to realize that they have a kind of a sovereign right to govern godly, to care with kindness. This doesn't mean, though, perhaps, as somebody would like to think, is that this is a a vegan mentality in the Bible. Um, In fact, the Bible says that the idea is that we're to cultivate and enjoy all foods. In Genesis 9-3, it says, Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you, and as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. So if you're vegan, good, do it for the glory of God. If you're a red meat eater, great, do it for the glory of God. If you're a plant-based eater, then good, do it for the glory of God. We'll leave you guys the rabbit food. Meantime, a lot of us are gonna be eating meat. My wife transitioned into more of a vegan and then she realized that meat was just too good and too godly. And now she's more of what she would call plant-based. But the Bible says that we have authority in a sense to cultivate a responsibility. This gives value and dignity towards farmers. This gives value and dignity towards what we eat and what we put in our body. New science is saying is food is like medicine. And and we have a responsibility, not just in one little area of life as being made in the image of God, but in all areas of life. We are representatives, we are responsible. Additionally, this, this idea of being having dominion or having this kibosh, this responsibility uh, in the Hebrew also means is that we're to care for the earth. And you say, like, what do you mean? Like care for the earth. Genesis 131 says this, is that God created everything and then said it was very good. If God created everything and it's very good, then why wouldn't we do very good towards our earth? Some Christians would say as well, when God's gonna return one day, he's gonna purge the earth with fire and uh, destroy everything and rebuild it. Actually, the more biblical mindset towards a new heaven and a new earth is a renewed earth that looks a lot more like heaven, which would connect the Lord's prayer, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is a, a, a greater theological discussion in evangelicalism perhaps, and has been going on for decades, but that the new heaven, new earth will look much more like the earth we live in now, but it'll be glorified, amplified, beautified, better than anything we've ever seen. And that idea is consistent within all of creation ideas. So for even the human body, the idea is that we will one day be fully restored and there will be a resemblance of what we once looked like, but different. It'll be glorified. And so this gives us reason and rhyme, if you will, to take responsibility in our creation and care for it and cultivate it and gives meaning and value for what we do. Additionally, this idea gives the idea that we should seek to do hard work. In Genesis uh, 3.15, the Bible says is that God put man in the garden to work and then to keep it. That's the idea of maintaining, cultivating, producing, creating, and then constantly we're challenged with this reality that we have a responsibility in light of all of creation. So this brings great dignity, great value, great appreciation, even for the person that does not believe in the Christian God, does not believe in the God we love from the Bible, but yet is producing and participating in this godlike activity. How many times have you gone to a doctor who's not a Christian and he helped you? How many times have you gone into an amusement park or some other uh, environment or business or, or you receive some goods or services and you know the owner, the creator was not Christian, yet you benefited from that? What is that? That is God's common grace for all people. He made every person on the planet in his image. The reality is some of us reflect that greater than others, but that doctrine right there should give you an incredible vision and commitment to bring honor and esteem, dignity and value and worth to every person on the planet, regardless of their lifestyle, regardless of their beliefs, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their education, regardless of any affiliation they have they have in them the Imago day. That is a powerful truth that gives, has massive implications. But you say to me, perhaps, as maybe you're an astute Bible learner, is, well, what about sin, Ryan? What, what about sin? Well, the Bible says is that we still all rebel against God. Despite being made in the image of God, we're all rebels. I like to call myself a redeemed rebel. I've experienced the grace of God, but I'm still a rebel meaning uh, like the the old hymn says, prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. I'm a rebel. I was born a rebel, but I've been redeemed. And the scripture teaches us a strong theology uh, that we are born into sin. Genesis 3 says that sin entered the world through one man, The Apostle Paul picks up on that in Romans and said that sin spread to all men. Sin, like a virus, has infected every person, everything, all of creation is under the curse of sin. All has been infected or affected by this sin virus. And the reality is, is that we all still rebel against God. Psalms five says that we're born into sin. The psalmist says that. Jeremiah says that the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. And as Christians, we like to say, above all else, guard your heart. Yes, there's some good in your heart, but you have to realize that sin in your heart is wicked and deceitful. And so when you look at the world around us, this concept of sin in the world, of course we have racism. Of course we have riots. Of course we have disaster. Of course we have Huge wars going on and conflicts going on. Why? Because the world needs Jesus Christ. Because the sin has infected and affected everything, everyone, every institution, and we rest as rebels. And we, we, do we reflect God's image while being a rebel? Yeah, it's still there. And I'll get to that in just a minute, but we are rebels. And just by the way, so you know, St. Augustine, for all my Catholic friends, you know who he is. He was a a great bishop in North Africa in the ancient church. And by the way, which you probably didn't know this, he was far more black than he was white. He upheld the concept of what we call original sin. That is the idea that every person is born with sin and will struggle with sin. You don't have to teach a baby to bite, a baby to hit, a baby to lie. They all do it. Why? Because we're all born with sin. And so this imago Dei, this made in the image of God, we cannot deny the biblical reality, even though we're made in God's image, even though we resemble him, even though we represent him, even on our best days, we're still rebels. The apostle Paul says, I do the things that I don't want to do. There's a tension, there's a struggle. St. Augustine fought though, he fought a, a man by the name of Pelagius who believed We were born good and then you grow up and it's your environment that makes you bad. Wrong, bad theology, incorrect. St. Augustine is correct. St. Augustine has held the Orthodox Christian view for the Eastern Orthodox, the Western Orthodox, the Catholics, the Protestants, conservative. To this concept, we are all born into sin, yet we're still made in the image of God. And so number five, I would say this, the, the good news is, the God-glorifying great news is, is that we still reflect God despite sin. Let me say that again. You and I still reflect God despite sin. Let me go a step further. Your unbelieving Christian, uh, your unbelieving non-Christian friends still reflect God despite sin. So you say to me, how could that be so? Well, in the Old Testament, after the fall, after sin had entered the world, um, We have uh, found in, in scripture that after the fall and the flood, God gives Noah the authority, follow with me here. He gives him the authority to establish the death penalty. And you think, oh my goodness, that's crazy. Yes, yeah, he does. Capital punishment actually has a biblical basis, just so you know. He says this, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed for... God made man in his own image. In other words, God has such a value, such esteem for mankind that there is no, there is an absolute zero tolerance for taking the life of another person. This is why injustice, uh, we long for that in our hearts because God put eternity in our hearts. And when we see injustice, we hate it. And when it comes to taking the life of another person, the Bible says is that we are made in God's image. You cannot do that. And additionally, in the New Testament, that this idea that we still reflect God's image despite sin is there. James, the Lord's brother said that it was wrong that Christians should speak wrongly about others because every person's made in the image of God. So this idea, do we still reflect God's image despite sin, uh, yes, we do. Imagine if you were to look into a mirror and you're looking at the mirror and you see a great reflection of yourself, but then somebody comes up from behind you real quick and hits with a baseball bat, the mirror, and it, it just shatters, but it still stays in place at some spots and you look in the mirror and your reflection is hard to recognize. You can't hardly see yourself anymore very clearly. That's the idea with sin. The more sin that you have in your life, the more defaced the image of God is in your life, the more hard to see it is there. Uh, Famous theologian Charles Ryrie once said that the image of God is defaced, but it's not erased. You see, the more godly we become, the more holy we live, the more Jesus centered, we are the greater reflection that we are of Jesus Christ. And so we must realize that the good news is, is that we still reflect God's image despite sin. But number six, we can recover God's image in our own lives. Let me say that again. You and I as believers can recover God's image into greater levels of clarity. uh, uh, in our own lives. It, it would be like moving from black and white to color TVs. You can see things more brightly. There is that possibility. There is that biblical reality. I think of my grandfather who over time became more and more godly, more, more and more experiencing God's uh, faithfulness and his mercy and his love. And I saw that in his life and it, it powerfully reflected the love of God in his life. So how can we recover God's image in our lives more so? First, you have to understand there's kind of two parts to this. There's one part is the recovery on your end. That means it's uh, uh, other theologians have called it active sanctification. It's the idea that you can recover, you can reclaim more of God's image in your life by doing something. In Colossians three nine, it talks about being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. He says uh, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Colossae and says, "Put on the new self. You've got to do something. You need to put on, in a sense, take off the old, put on the new." live, act, pursue godly behaviors, godly activities, such as immersing yourself with God's word, surrounding yourself with godly people and godly counsel, giving God glory and praise through your worship and prayer. And so we can do this. We have one part on our side. If we never pick up a Bible, if we never go to church and participate in ministry activities and worship with other believers, the reflection isn't as great. The image is not as powerful. And so we have a responsibility as made in the image of God to recover, to reclaim uh, the new self being conformed after the image of our creator. Secondly, the grace side, the gospel side in all this for every Christian is that God's at work in you, despite any effort of your own. And I think about that in my life when I've been lazy, when I've, I've woke up in the, uh, in the middle of the night or early in the morning and said, I'm tired, Lord. I don't feel like taking the hard steps of living the Christian life to the degree that you're calling me to. And I realize that God's at work in me despite my inconsistencies, my incongruencies, despite my struggles, despite my shortcomings, God's at work. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3.18 as well, is that we're being transformed into the same image from one degree to another for the, of the glory of God that comes through the Lord, who is the Spirit. There is this powerful reality in that, that we can take responsibility and recover more and more of God's image in our life. And yet, God is at work in us and through us to conform us more and more to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Lastly, I'll leave you on this and I'll teach more about it uh, uh, this fall, but it's the idea of the very end times. We wait as believers with a great hope that one day we will be fully restored. Meaning our bodies, the, the material being that we are, Will be restored to all its glory, to the back to what was in the harmony found in the Garden of Eden, the full uh, totality of God's purpose and plan for all of creation being restored, but chiefly you as His uh, uh, cream of the crop, if you will, for creation. He says in Romans eight twenty eight. He says that he's predestined us. That means he's planned us to be conformed to the image of his son. First John 3, 2 says that when he appears, we will be like him and we will be like him. And so there is a day coming, friends, when your body will be restored fully uh, to what God has intended and purposed, a full restoration to the fullest extent of who God has made you and created you to be. And so with that, I just leave you with some practical applications is, number one, this means that you manage well. Everything that God has placed in your hands, you give to him. You are a manager and a steward. You are a representative of God in this world. Everything he's entrusted you with, your business, your family, your skills, your gifts, your talents, your finances, all that he's given you, manage well. You're called to be a manager. You represent him. You're responsible in creation. You have a role to play among others. Secondly, I would challenge you, follow Jesus Christ. He is the perfect example of made in the image of God, completely God, yet completely human. His church historians have called it the hypostatic union, no greater example than Jesus Christ for you. Dr. Phil, Oprah, they may have something good to say, but Jesus always has something better to say. Your example is not in the culture. Your example is in the scriptures. You follow that example all your life. And as you do, you become more human of God's full totality and experiencing the divine nature of your humanity through following Jesus as your example. Thirdly, I just challenge you, respect all people. If this doctrine doesn't rattle your cage to realize you have a massive responsibility to respect all people of all colors, every creed, from every walk of life, of lifestyle, you have to respect. You don't have to necessarily like them or be friends with them, but you have to respect they are made in God's image. And then lastly, I challenge you is work together. We have so many differences as believers, as people, as human beings with others, but we've gotta realize that God's made us better together. He's designed and and differentiated us, so unique and so special. So I challenge you to work with others constantly. Teamwork makes the dream work. So I wanna challenge you in just joining me in prayer and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this message, the clarity in scripture that we find. I pray that we would seek to apply it it, in our hearts and in our homes. Father, in our homes, to our kids, our spouses, our relatives, may we represent you. Heavenly Father, when we're online regarding the issues and the tensions that have divided our country and our communities, might we pause and think before we post and think if this will represent you. Father, in our workplaces, with our employees, our employers, our customers, our competitors, may we represent you. And Father, in our community, in our parks, in our neighborhoods, in our grocery stores, our restaurants, our banks, our shopping malls, might we represent you. And Heavenly Father, in our country, as Christians and churches search for answers, might they find them and represent you to their friends and their family, their churches and their communities. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Well, hey guys, it's been great being with you today. We're gonna continue on in our worship together as we celebrate Jesus Christ and the life that he gives. We do this through communion. So let's continue to worship together. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.